podcast for April 23rd, 2023. We're in our Gospel According to the Beatles series. And before we get to the song, the intro today, usually I'm here with Dave and Marissa, but both of them have left me alone today. And so I'm here in the studio solo with my friend Brad Henderson back there. Brad, say hi to the folks at home. Hi, folks at home. Man, I mean, we're all, what, what is it? Did you not shower? Did I not shower? What's I, going on? I thought I did. Okay, well, uh, kind of rolling, rolling solo today, um, but that is just fine. We'll spend a little time together talking about um, our next installment on the Beatles series, and I hope you're having a great time with this. This is an easy opportunity to invite people uh, to join you for worship, uh, and if you have people who are resistant to the gospel, this is also a simple opportunity. Say, so just, just watch online. You can watch our live feed uh, through our website or through Facebook, and it's an opportunity to have some fun an opportunity to interact with the Scripture in a very meaningful way. So uh, for this week, Gospel According to the Beatles, we're going to be looking at the song yesterday. And actually, we're not going to be looking at the song. We're just going to be listening to the song. But it is a song about regret. It's a song about remorse. It's a a song about nostalgia when things were, were a little better. And one line that caught my attention is, Now I need a place to hide away. I think we all feel like that sometimes. So for the text for uh, connecting this idea of regret and, and longing for yesterday, I've decided to, uh, to go from John chapter 8 on this one. Now a little bit of background, if you open up your Bibles and you look at John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11, in my translation it shows an italicized text and it has a little bit of a marginal note here that the earliest manuscripts Many other ancient witnesses do not have this section of Scripture in it. So let me just give the quick textual note, and if this was not an original part of the Gospel of John, why are we teaching from it? So here's, here's the best that we understand, that John, as he originally wrote this Gospel, did not include this story. However, Uh, This story was most likely a part of the oral tradition of Jesus that was handed down. I mean, it was a good 20 years or so before the first gospel was even written, the gospel of Mark. And so the teachings of Jesus existed in an oral form, and some stories were written down. So this, I believe, is a legitimate story of Jesus. It certainly is in line with the spirit of Christ and what he did and how he taught and how he lived. And although it wasn't originally a part of John's gospel, this was probably a part of the oral history that some editor along the way said, before this story is lost, we need to put it down somewhere. And so it was inserted into the gospel of John. Uh, It's interesting, over the years I probably have taught on this passage um, two or three times, and it's almost like I have a mental block with this passage. I always feel like whenever I teach this, that it falls flat just a little bit. But, you know, I'm really inspiring people to come and listen on that Sunday morning, aren't I? Uh, first time I taught on this, I thought, this is going to be great, and boy, it just it just fell flat. This was way back when I was pastoring a small country church. So I'm wanting to push past this mental block, but also I think it is an, an amazing 
passage of Scripture about how some of our greatest regrets can lead us to the deepest of repentance and then to a complete restoration of our lives under the Lordship of Jesus. If I were teaching this, uh, and I'll, I'll read the passage here in just a moment, I would ask people to think about the event in their life that they regret the most. I would challenge people to think about, have you truly repented of that? And if we have, the fact that we can rejoice at the forgiveness and the restoration of God, uh, it's our greatest mistakes that often lead us to the deepest places of God's love. So this is uh, John chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse uh, 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and we're just going to walk through this. So at dawn, first part of the day, he appeared again in the temple courts, and all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach. So we see Jesus at the, the prime of his ministry, people everywhere he went, a crowd just kind of develops around him, and it says he sat down. This is what a rabbi would do. He would take the sitting position, and the students would stand out of respect. Uh, oftentimes, I've sat on Sunday morning on a stool. That's kind of the way Jesus uh, did things. That was his day. So the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, there they are. They brought a woman caught in adultery. Now, just for a moment, you wonder how they caught this woman in the act of adultery. Uh, Could it be that this was a setup all along, that they lured this woman? And we'll, we'll get to the fact that the law calls for both parties in the adultery to be brought before Jesus, but only one was. So it could be that this was a bit of a sting operation. They set this woman up. The man got away scot-free. They lured her into a compromising position. And then, having caught her, they brought her to Jesus to test him. So they made her stand before the group. Uh, There's something about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that dehumanize people. And that's what legalism often does. Here's a woman made in the image of God like everyone else, needing God's grace, but they are using her. And probably she had been used all her life by evil people, and now religious people were doing the very same thing, just in a little different motive. So they had her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So how could this be used to accuse Jesus? Well, it's kind of like that paying taxes to Caesar. <laughs> if, if he said, no, don't pay pa- taxes to Caesar, then, uh, then Jesus is a collaborator. Uh, excuse me, he's a revolutionary against the Roman government. No, don't pay your taxes. He would be considered by Rome to be a revolutionary. But if he said, yes, do pay your taxes then he would consider, be considered by the religious people to be a collaborator. So this is kind of a no-win situation in that very same vein. If Jesus says, go ahead and do what the law says, stone this woman, now number one, he would be in trouble with the Roman authorities because that was not allowed under their regime. But more so, the Pharisees could go back to other people and say, look, he says he's a person of grace and forgiveness, but look at what he did. But if he says, don't stone the woman, then Jesus is soft on the law. He's not believing the Bible the way that the Pharisees say it ought to be believed. And so this is a no-win situation that Jesus seems to be put into. 
So what do you say? They were using this in order to trap Jesus and have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. This is the only time recorded in the Gospels. Now the textual issues aside, this is the only time we have record of Jesus writing. Jesus bent down and he began to write on the ground. So if I were teaching this, we're not told what Jesus was writing here. Um, there's some pretty good guesses. Um, if I were teaching this, I would get creative with this just a bit. Uh, I would say, what do, what do you think Jesus was writing on the ground? And a couple of very good options. It could be that he was writing out the names of the Pharisees standing right there, or writing out the sins of the Pharisees as they were standing right there. Kind of this insight of Jesus knows my deepest sin, and Jesus was calling them out. We're not really told, uh, by the way, if you hear some background noise, nothing's wrong with your car or computer. It sounds like somebody is cleaning right outside this room right now, and, and we like it when people clean the church, so we're going to let them do it. Um, actually, Brad just stepped out of the studio there in big trouble now. No, so if you hear some background noise, just ignore it because I will. So what did Jesus bend down and write? Um, maybe he just kind of did some scribbling in the ground. Maybe he was just doodling and thinking and praying. We don't know, but it's interesting to think what he was doing in this moment. Well, they kept on questioning him. He straightened up, and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. If you are completely innocent, if you have no need of repentance then you throw the stone first. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. I still cannot take my eyes off this woman in this story, that as all these things are happening to her, don't you hear her say, I just need a place to hide away. And she's about to discover who that is. She's about to discover not where she can hide, but in whom she can hide. Well, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, out of respect, they kind of covered their faces and they went away. And again, it makes you wonder what Jesus wrote on the ground. Was he writing their names and attaching them to sins? We, we don't know. In fact, here's the speculation, that the adulterer, and this is just my guess, the adulterer, the male adulterer being required to be brought before Jesus to be stoned, I believe he was there. I believe he was there that he was used by the Pharisees, may have been a Pharisee himself, to lure this woman into a compromising position. And so she is caught in the act of adultery, brought before trial. Well, you're supposed to bring the man too, but the Pharisees said, you're one of us, you know, you did what we asked you to do, great. But I believe he was right there. And in my imagination, I think Jesus wrote his name in the dirt. He wrote his name in the dust. They knew that Jesus knew exactly what they had done. That just kind of brings some, some gravitas to this moment. Um, so they went. The, the older ones went away, then the younger ones, until only Jesus was left, and the woman was still standing there. Jesus straightened up again and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. So this last statement of Jesus, I think it's a very um, important to balance these two things. This, you are forgiven, go, 
now leave your life of sin. Those two things should always go together. The message of the church is not just go, continue to live your life as you have before, and God's going to love you no matter what. The message of the church is not only leave your life of sin. The message is both forgiveness and repentance, that God is a God of grace, but he also invites us to change our lives. And this woman's life, certainly in this case, is transformed. And I think this is a very powerful story that communicated something about the work and person of Jesus, that when none of the gospel writers had captured it, and by the way, John would be the last gospel written. Matthew was first, uh, excuse me, Mark was first, Matthew and Luke were close second and third, and then John was last. In this very last gospel, they said, John didn't pick it up. We've got to write down this story somewhere, and they included it here, a picture of God's great grace over our lives. So that's John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Uh, boy, it really is. Brad, it's boring not having my other two cohorts here. It's it's a little tough to interact, for sure. Not even Brad's sure. here anymore. No, he I'm just, here. He just left. He walked out of the studio or is he asleep? Oh, there he no, is. No, I'm here. I just had <laughs> muted my mic so you wouldn't have to hear me snoring. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what totally we missed right there. Totally a joke. Sorry. That's what we missed. Hey, since we didn't do any banter at the beginning, let's do yeah. a little at the end. So right, what what'd sure. you do? what did you do for Easter? Honestly, I we didn't do much. I went home and um, killed the fatted calf, so to speak, mm. on the grill. I took a very nice Easter nap and then got up, and the neighbor kids wanted to come over and and play in the backyard. So we did that, and um, that's about it. you got to be the fun neighbor. You know, I yeah, think this yeah. was the first Easter that I've kind of felt my age. Uh, we've done three services, yeah. many an Easter. This was the first one I went home, and I go, I am just dog tired. Yeah. So I'm no longer 39 years old. Um, 29 was the age I heard it the last oh, time. Yeah. I, I passed that a long time ago. We did do something fun with our adult kids. We yeah. did an adult Easter egg hunt uh, with our grown children. Yeah. And uh, there was some candy, but there was cash in the eggs. Uh-huh. So as my wife is packing these eggs, I go, where'd you get this money? And she goes, you. I go, thank you very much. Do I not have a say in what's happening here? The slush fund. Yes. The slush fund. And, uh, you know, there was like one or two eggs with some larger notes in it, but most of them were, you know, nickels and quarters, dimes, pennies, mm-hmm. or something fun. But one kid, I won't mention who, one kid <laughs> got all the big cash and walked hmm. away with, with some substantial money in their pocket. So it's a lucky kid. He loves his daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Or his father-in-law, whichever one it may be. (laughs) All right, hey, I think we're done here. Let's go. All right, right, so this is John chapter 8. Enjoy this series. This is something meant to be fun. This is meant to be something that's memorable and also very, very meaningful. And and we're not focusing on the Beatles. We're focusing on some great themes that lead us to the Scripture. And uh, like this song, our regrets can often be the opportunities for our greatest change and greatest rejoicing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may God grant you peace now and forever. Amen.